you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com Goals24. That's Chime.com Goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Just a few weeks ago, Congress passed the American Rescue Plan, President Biden's widespread proposal which allocated trillions of dollars to help the country climb out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Then, this week, Biden laid out a massive infrastructure plan and a path for even more government expansion down the road. These efforts reflect what's now clear about Biden's approach to his presidency. He's using this moment as an opportunity for major expansion, and his administration believes that the full resources of the federal government can conquer some pretty big problems. In the rollout of his ambitious agenda, Biden suggested that this moment is on par with the biggest government expansions in American history, like the New Deal or the Great Society. But how fair is that comparison? How have attitudes around government expansion changed in recent years? And how might the politics of big government affect how far Biden can actually go from here? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. After the success of his COVID-19 Recovery Act, the American Rescue Plan, President Biden is putting forth another big initiative, a massive infrastructure plan. But while the administration is calling the American Jobs Plan an infrastructure plan, the details go far beyond roads and bridges. I'm proposing a plan for the nation that rewards work, not just rewards wealth. It builds a fair economy that gives everybody a chance to succeed and is going to create the strongest, most resilient, innovative economy in the world. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America, unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. In fact, it's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. With his proposal, Biden plans to tackle a vast array of issues. He outlined his hopes for the plan in a speech on Wednesday in Pittsburgh. He started with the crux of the bill, rebuilding and upgrading the nation's infrastructure. The American Jobs Plan will modernize 20,000 miles of highways, roads, and main streets that are in difficult, difficult shape right now. It'll fix the nation's 10 most economically significant bridges in America, that require replacement. Remember that bridge that went down? We got 10 most economically significant bridges with more commerce going across it that need to be replaced. Beyond upgrading the roads, Biden's plan aims to modernize the vehicles that drive on them. 13% of spending in the bill is aimed toward boosting the U.S. manufacturing sector with large investments in things like semiconductors and green energy building a nationwide network of 500,000 charging stations, creating good-paying jobs by leading the world in the manufacturing and export of clean electric cars and trucks. We're going to provide tax incentives 
and point-of-sale rebates to help all American families afford clean vehicles of the future. The federal government owns an enormous fleet of vehicles, which are going to be transitioned to clean electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles right here in the United States of America by American workers with American products. Biden's proposal would also bring infrastructure advancements to American homes. The American Jobs Plan would deliver universal broadband, including to more than 35 percent of rural Americans who lack access to high-speed Internet. It's a disparity even more pronounced during this pandemic. American Jobs will make sure every single, every single American has access to high-quality, affordable, high-speed Internet for businesses, for schools. The plan also aims to help American families by investing $400 billion in home and community care service. Biden proposed expanding caregiving for the elderly and disabled by building more care centers and expanding access to home-based care. Think of expanded vital services like programs for seniors. Or think of home care workers going into homes of seniors and people with disabilities, cooking meals, helping them get around their homes, and helping them be able to live more independently. The more than $2 trillion plan is designed to fund efforts over an eight-year period, and Biden's proposing that tax hikes will pay for the plan over 15 years. We're going to raise the corporate tax. It was 35 percent, which is too high. We all agreed five years ago it should go down to 28 percent, but they reduced it to 21 percent. We're going to raise it back to up to 28 percent. No one should be able to complain about that. It's still lower than what that rate was between World War II and 2017. Just doing that one thing will generate $1 trillion in additional revenue over 15 years. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Fixing the nation's infrastructure has widespread support across the political spectrum. But this bill has more than just traditional infrastructure spending in it. And so it's facing real pushback. Plus, there are disagreements over how to pay for the enormous bill on the heels of a hefty economic recovery plan. And that will create significant hurdles for passing this agenda through Congress. Disagreements over government spending, though, of course, are not new. Questions around the role of government and how big that role is have been a contentious piece of American politics for decades. We've had a generation-long debate over the size and role of government, which really took a turn in 1980 when Ronald Reagan was elected president and famously said in his inaugural address, government isn't the solution, government is the problem. And that ushered in a very fierce debate about what was the appropriate size of government, both in terms of spending and in taxation. That's The Post's chief political correspondent, Dan Balls. I asked him about the dynamics of public opinion and public sentiment around government spending long before this pandemic began. We were in an era in which 
the burden of proof weighed much more heavily on those who wanted to expand government significantly. Bill Clinton ran into that in the 1990s when the Republicans pushed for, and he went along with, a balanced budget. But prior to that, he had famously said the era of big government is over. This was after the Democrats had taken the shellacking in the 1994 midterm elections that gave the Republicans control of the House for the first time in 40 years. During President Obama's administration, he pushed to expand the role of federal government in health care, and that was a dramatic and a big move, but it didn't particularly end the debate. So heading into the pandemic, things were basically in that space, although I think that the other wildcard factor was former President Trump, who never subscribed to kind of the Reagan-esque view of government. I mean, he was not an ardent advocate of smaller government. He was an advocate, for example, for a big infrastructure program, which he never really brought to the fore, but nonetheless spoke in a way that was not pushing for smaller government. So things were beginning to change. You could see within the Democratic Party uh, a shift to the left. And so things were beginning to shift before the pandemic, but we were still very much in this era of the burden of proof being on the advocates of bigger government. So things started changing a little, but then, of course, this pandemic hits, and now we find ourselves in completely different circumstances. What has changed in terms of Americans' views of big government and the approach to big government over the past year or so? I think the biggest change is that people have seen what government can do in a crisis like this and have felt the effects of that directly in terms of you know the kinds of checks that have been sent out by the government over the last year to help people who are struggling with rent payments or mortgage payments or who are unemployed, who've lost their jobs simply because the pandemic shut down so many businesses. And I think that has had a material effect at the beginning of this. Congress, you know, in a show of bipartisanship, passed enormous spending bills. The CARES Act was a $2 trillion spending bill, and that came on top of a smaller measure, which everybody quickly realized was inadequate to the scope of the problem. But what you saw was a willingness on the part of people who had been longtime critics, skeptics, opposition to spending a lot of money, suddenly say, well, we need to spend this kind of money. And I think that the other thing that happened was that there has been a reduced fear of deficits. Many economists who 10 years ago would have been alarmed at the size of the deficits that the United States has been running would say today that perhaps these deficits are not as worrisome, at least in the near term, as we used to think they were. And that, I think, has also had a very significant effect in the way people think about what can be done and how you go about it. So given all of those factors and what we've seen play out over the past year, the most recent stimulus bill to pass through Congress, the American Rescue Plan, was one of the largest government spending bills in history. How has that been received by the public in the past few weeks? Has there been any sort of backlash to this huge amount of spending or has it been largely positive? It's been largely positive. The polling on this gives that measure very strong numbers, 60%, 65%, 70%, depending on the poll that you look at. And even a substantial percentage of Republicans support this plan, despite the fact that it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, stimulus packages ever enacted by Congress. And though it was enacted on a strictly party line vote, and President Biden has been trying to make the argument that 
there are different views of bipartisanship and that his view of bipartisanship is not governed by the number of votes he gets from Republicans in Congress, but rather the level of support that rank-and-file Republicans show in these polls for the, the kinds of things he's doing. So this $1.9 trillion stimulus package has been quite well received, and it's understandable why that is popular. I think the bigger test will come with this new package that he just outlined this week, the infrastructure package. I want to talk about that. Basically, Biden had this huge, massive government spending bill, and now he's proposing another one and perhaps another one after that. So his legislative agenda is really calling for this massive expansion of government. When is the last time that American government took on that kind of expansion? There are two periods that I think we all look at. The first would be the New Deal under Franklin Roosevelt. And under FDR, this ushered in the era in which the federal government became a much more dominant force in the country and in terms of the economics of the country. He created the modern federal government. But the second time was the Great Society under Lyndon Johnson. And that was the creation of Medicare and Medicaid, the war on poverty, various other programs, education programs that that President Johnson advocated. What got him into trouble were two things. One was he was doing this during the Vietnam War and he wasn't paying for all of it. And so it set off a period of inflation, which created a backlash against what he was doing. And then there was some question and and some conclusion that many of these programs that he had uh, initiated and fostered had not done what they were set out to do. But nonetheless, those are the two periods that I think you look at for comparison. And by all measures, what President Biden is doing is in that same league in terms of the size of what he's doing, but also the ambition of what he's doing. I think there's a distinction to be made between the American Rescue Package, which just passed, and the new infrastructure package. The first is spending over a very immediate period of time. The new infrastructure package is $2 trillion over eight years of spending. And ironically, tax increases that will take 15 years to pay for that eight years of spending. You know, you touched on this, but I just want to ask more deeply, President Biden has really compared his actions to FDR in the New Deal. He has said this is a once in a generation investment. He's really trying to make this moment have like a, a deep level of historical clout for the legacy of his presidency. Is this a fair comparison for him to make? Is the level of ambition he's talking about, does it really match up to what we think about when we think about the New Deal or LBJ's initiatives? I think in many ways it does. If you go through the details of what they have outlined this week in the, the new infrastructure package, it is an enormous undertaking. I mean, that it is touching all parts of, of the economy and all parts of society. And it is way more than just roads and bridges and airports. And I think Biden recognizes that there is support for that across the board, as well as a great need to do that. But the second is, I think he sees this as an opportunity, not only to do that, but to go beyond that, to make these other, in a sense, generational changes that many people have said for some years are necessary. And I think that because the pandemic has, if you will, softened opposition to bigger government and because the Democratic Party is in a different place than it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago in terms of its consensus view on how bold and big people ought to be. He's got a moment and he's trying to seize it. But there are, of course, still risks in this approach, right, for both Biden and the Democrats in pushing this massive government spending? 
There are many risks. The first is whether he can get it through Congress. That's the big question. It's one thing to be able to propose all of this, but it's another thing to have a, a strategy that successfully gets you to, if not every piece of this, the bulk of it. This will be more difficult. So that's the first issue. I think the second issue is how much this spending will really affect the inflationary pressures on the economy. Again, this is something that economists feel is not a major threat, but there are some people who do think it's a serious threat and that there's a big risk in trying to do this much spending and to stimulate the economy in this way. The third, of course, is does it do what he says it can do? Will this move us into a different place? Can they really do the kinds of infrastructure fixes in the amount of time that they say they want to try to do it. There is so much that they are trying to do in this bill that it will tax the efforts of government at all levels, as well as private sector individuals and companies, to be able to do it. So I want to understand where this expansion of government approach really fits into Biden's general approach to governing as we've seen it unfold over many decades. He was a senator in the Reagan and Clinton era, and he had bigger jobs in the Senate by the time the Bush era came. What was his attitude in the past towards an expanded government like this? It's a good question. I would say that Biden, by instinct, has been a moderate liberal. He's certainly not a Bernie Sanders. As we saw in the presidential campaign, he very clearly said, I'm in a different place than Bernie Sanders. Their biggest disagreement was on Medicare for all, which Sanders obviously supports, and Biden opposed. And so there's been nothing in Biden's history that would say if he became president, he was going to try to be FDR again or Lyndon Johnson with the Great Society. But presidents don't get to define the conditions under which they come in and try to govern. And what he has found is that there's been a kind of a confluence of forces that have pushed him in the direction of being more ambitious, I think, than people would have anticipated. And given all of that, I think that he concluded that he was going to go in a much bolder direction than he might have thought of when he started to run for president in 2019 before there was the pandemic. And he was looking at, in a sense, a more conventional presidency than he's got at this point. I'm curious if there's another factor that's influencing him at all, which is that during the Obama administration, there was some sense of disappointment, at least from activists on the left and liberals, that Obama didn't do enough while Democrats were in control of the government. Has that had an impact on how Biden is approaching his governing right now? Very much so. We saw that, first of all, in the stimulus package. His belief, and, and the belief of a lot of Democrats, that the Obama administration was not ambitious enough in its stimulus package during the financial crisis. What they quickly learned was there's no second cut. Once they did that first one, there was no political support to really go back in and do more. And that's one of the reasons that the recovery was relatively slow throughout much of President Obama's first term and even into some of his second term. And so I think that Biden and his team, they all remembered that they recognized they had to get as much as they possibly could in that first one. And I think they see the same thing in this, that if they're going to go for a infrastructure package, a jobs package, a recovery package, you start big and do as much as you can early on. I mean, I think the other thing that they have to have in the back of their minds is they have the most slender majorities that a Democratic president has had in this Congress, and there's no guarantee that they're going to have control of both houses after the 2022 election. The history says they're going to lose seats in the House and or the Senate, and they don't have any to give away in the Senate, and they have very few to give away in the House. So they have to 
get as much done as they possibly can over the next 15 months. Yeah. In this conversation, we've talked a little bit about how moments in history have sort of changed the course of American perception and political perception around expanded government and the role of big government. Do you see this moment now as one that will mark a sort of sea change in American politics, similar to the FDR era or the Reagan era? Or is this sort of a one of a kind response to this unprecedented crisis moment? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. I think part of it will depend on whether President Biden is successful in getting done what he wants to do. I think this will be recognized as a moment in which there was a big test about this. He is obviously attempting to move the country away from what you would call 40 years of kind of Reagan era approach to government and to, to try to usher in a different era. That's clearly the ambition that he has. And I don't know that it is an ambition designed to say, well, I want to reverse the Reagan era. I think it is an ambition based on what he sees as the needs of the country at this particular time and the opportunity he has, in part because of what the pandemic has exposed in terms of the inequities in the economy. So he has an opportunity, but whether we will look back on this and say, okay, this was a turning point, I don't know the answer to that. All right. Well, we will find out. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Dan. Thank you, Allison. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Charla Freeland with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.